Alright guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are in 2 Kings 5 and 6. Again, uh, you know, the stories here, they just continue to get more interesting if you think about this. I mean, you know, you're always going to have this cycle, right, of evil bringing in somebody and then maybe they're going to get better and then that's kind of the cycle of Judges. It actually feels like it's a cycle of 1 Kings. It feels like it's a cycle of 2 Kings. And then in there, you, you really just begin to see like God intervenes uh, uh, all the time. And you see that in this story of 2 Kings 5. I mean, think about this. Naaman, it says in verse 1, he's a commander of the army for the king of Aram. Okay, so here you have Ben-Hadid II. Okay, that's the command, uh, That's the king of Aram. So this commander of the army, when we say commander, like he's the guy. He was a great man, and listen how he's listed. He was great in the man's sight. He was highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. So this Naaman, this commander of the army, is like the front runner who's always paving the way. He was a brave warrior, but he had a skin disease. And most people would classify this as leprosy. Now, there's a couple arguments. Maybe it wasn't as drastic. But either way, you guys, this, this skin disease, at some point, all people would agree that it was a de- degenerated part. It leads to the bodies um, and the victims eventually uh, dying. And so it slowly it's just this process that just kind of keeps eating away at their bodies. And in verse 2, it said this, Okay, Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. Now think about this, okay? The general commander, right? This, this main leader. Do you guys remember when we talked about leprosy? I don't know if you remember this in Leviticus, where Warren Wearsby broke up sin in different ways. And so here, here's what he described. He described sin, okay, in regards to, to leprosy. He, he compared them. Remember this? And he said this, sin is... If you remember this, deeper than skin, okay? And then he said, it also spreads. And then it went on to, it defiles a person. So obviously we're looking at this with leprosy, but then what Wearsby says is he compared that to the sin, the sin nature. So it's skin, it goes to the skin, it's deeper than skin, it spreads, it defiles, it isolates, okay? And then it also then, it's fit for fire, Despite the sin nature of, of Naaman, despite the, the physical condition of Naaman, enter in a little Israeli girl, okay? The little Israeli girl would be, quote-unquote, the enemy, right, of, of Naaman. And so they captured her, and they brought her in. In verse 3, it says, So she said to her mistress, If only my mistress would go to the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So, all right, let's do a little bit of a, a little bit of a comparison here. So here you have Naaman, and here you have the Israeli girl. She's an Israelite. He's an Aramean. She's a little maiden. He's a great man. She's a captive servant. He's a commander. He has a fame in the king's uh, estimation, and she has none. For she simply waited upon, and then it says, Naaman's wife. So there's this drastic comparison, a little girl, big commander. And then she says to the wife, hey, by the way, if if only he would go see. And the scripture says the prophet in Samaria, which would be who, Kevin? 
Elisha. Elisha. Just, if we can only get him to see the prophet. Just the fact that she says that. You know what that says? It says she has radical faith. She believes that even the enemy who's captured her, who's away from their family, who really she probably wants to leave. She's like, well, I want this guy to be healed. And she says, my God can do that through this, this prophet. It's a cool picture. And so here's what I want to do is, is that in this process, I want us to understand one thing is that Naaman clearly. He needed the Lord. Naaman needed the Lord. And then what you're going to see is in this process of this little girl saying, hey, I think I think you need to seek out this uh, this prophet. That's what Naaman does. He goes from needing the Lord to seeking the Lord. And so what you'll see in the verses four through ten is that exact thing happens. Naaman went and he told his master, which would have been Ben-Hadid, the king of Aram, what the girl from the land of Israel had said. Therefore, it says in verse five, the king of Aram said, go, I'll send you a letter with the, with you to the king of of Israel. So he went, he took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold and 10 changes of clothes. And we know this verse, but Kevin, if you'll go there, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know this, but you cannot earn your way to the king. I mean, scripture just says this, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. And I just want to put a little parenthesis. It's not of silver. It's not of gold. It's not of clothes. It's a gift of God. God truly wants to bless you. And in verse nine, it says this, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, if it was about your letter, if it was about the silver and the gold and the clothes, you'd brag about it. And so here you have a king giving one man a letter and he is saying, I need this man to be healed. And in verse six, it says he brought the letter to the king of Israel, Joram. And it read, when this letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. I'm just thinking about the king wouldn't had no idea that he wouldn't need to send the money with, you know, an being a Gentile, you know, he wouldn't have come across the trust in, in God or, you know, known that he would accept him for what he was. It's good. And in verse seven, look how Joram responds to Ben-Hadid's letter. He tore his clothes and he said, Am I God killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure a man of this skin disease? Think it over and you'll see that he is only picking a fight with me. Surely there's some catch to this. Surely there's a political gain that you are going to bring to the table. And like, I would be skeptical. Why would, why would we not? And so when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel, Joram, tore his clothes... Elisha then sent a message to the king. He said, hey, why, why have you torn your clothes? <laughs> I love it when they ask questions and they already know the answers. Have him, have him come, have Naaman, have him come to me. And he'll know there's a prophet in Israel. I love, you guys, when people function in such radical confidence. Just have him come. He'll, he'll know. He'll know I'm a prophet. Like, to me, I, I really believe the body of Christ needs to continue to function more and more in their identity in the Lord. Like, let's walk this thing out and actually act like we've been changed. I mean, the reality is that we, we let the world dictate how we speak. We let the world dictate how we respond to them. The reality is, you guys, we've already won. Yeah, go ahead, send them. Victory is already assured. You send them my way. I have good news. You bring them here. Like, that's the reality that the church needs to start walking in. This authority that we need to start owning up. You guys, we have, you realize this, the spirit of the living God inside of us. Yeah, go ahead, send them. Send them here. 
I promise you, your life will radically change. Like, that's what I want. That's the kind of God that I want to follow. And Elisha walks like this. You know what he does? He walks with the double anointing. He walks with the portion that he is like, yes, I can take this cloak because the power of God's inside of me and split the Jordan River. Like, when will the church start functioning in this radical confidence? Like, to me, it's kind of like the only way you can start is you got to you got to start. Okay, so I see a lady at a grocery store and the Spirit of God, you know, prompts you. And you know the Spirit of God is prompting you to go over to this person and say, can I, can I just say a simple blessing and, and pray for you? But man, they're going to think I'm weird and maybe Sprouts or, you know, Walmart might kick me out. And so we, we don't walk in that confidence. But you guys, people are longing. There are Naamans out there that are longing to say, I want to come to somebody that knows the answer. It's exactly what Elisha does. He walks like he actually has the answer. And I don't want to go into a third world country or a Middle East country and act like my God can't defend me. I promise you I'll get my rear end kicked. But I'm going to walk with confidence and in that I'm walking into his will and then you let God show up. We've got to give room for God to work. And so Naaman, he knows he needs the Lord and now he's seeking the Lord and he's seeking the Lord and as he's seeking him, Elisha says, yeah, I I have the answer for you. And then in verse 9, Naaman, it says he came with his horses and his chariots. Now, here's what's so fun about working with, you know, in this context, the Gentile community. We always think it's what we bring to the table to the Lord. Well, I'll bring my horses. I'll bring my chariots. I'm going to bring, just just so you know who I am. Now, it says Elisha sent him a messenger. Elisha didn't even go to the door of the man with the horse and the chariots. Hey, oh, it's it's Naaman. (laughs) You know, there's, there's some thoughts behind this. One is that Elisha is a prophet. And it says in Numbers 5, 1 through 4, a prophet would never allow himself to be around an unclean person. So some people would actually say he's just actually honoring the law and he wouldn't actually put himself near a leper. You know, if he is, he would be defiled himself. And so maybe there's a little bit of honoring the word of God. We're not really sure. Or maybe he just wants to show Naaman, you need to humble yourself. I don't know. I really like to think the other. But the reality is he tells the messenger Probably one of the best, the best things ever on how a person can get healed. Oh, by the way, I want you to wash seven times in the Jordan. Naaman, the commander, right? I want you to wash seven times in the Jordan. This is the same Jordan that Elisha has split. And your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. One sentence. Look, I just want to tell you something about this, you guys. He doesn't have to pay a copay. He doesn't have to sit in a waiting room. Like, he doesn't have to do an insurance plan. Like, literally, all Naaman has to do is walk into the Jordan River. Now, I, I want to go to Rich on this question. Rich, I've been waiting to ask you this question. Are you ready? Can I pass? No, you cannot pass. When it says he goes into the Jordan seven times, what is that? How does that look? Like, what, how, how do you wash seven times in the Jordan? What's your first thought? My first thought is he would just like walk in, dip himself, get up, walk out. That's one. Can I just, can I just tell you, if I'm naming the commander of, of an army, I'd feel like an idiot. You want me to walk into the Jordan River, get in, get my hair wet, get everything wet, get back out, come back out. What if there's people laying out on the beach? They're watching me. Like, you know, you're thinking all of these things. Then I'm going to go in again, do it again. Here's the deal. So many of us, like we want God to give us an answer exactly what we want. Naaman is told, you go in, you get out, you go in, you get out seven times. And oh, by the way, when that happens, your flesh is totally clean restored everything. And I, I, 
here's what happens. Okay, this is pretty obvious. In verse 11, Naaman got angry. <laughs> and so he's needing the Lord. He's seeking the Lord. And here's what, here's what Wearsby says. Oh, and then he starts resisting the Lord. It's, it's interesting. You kind of see his journey. He wants to be healed and he's willing to go yeah. to the enemy. But when it looks too easy, right. he's upset. I mean, it is easy, but it makes him look ridiculous. And I, I really think there's a whole lot of humility that needs to take place with Naaman in this. Yeah, he can say he's humbling himself before the great Almighty prophet, but the reality is that's not his mindset at all. Humility needs to take place. Can you go to 1 Peter 5, 5 for me, please? He needs the Lord. He's seeking the Lord. And then when he gives an answer, he resists the Lord. I love this. It says, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, you younger people, all of you be submissive to one another. That's one step right there. He's missing it. And be clothed with humility for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Well, Naaman in verse 11 says he walks away angry because it's called pride. (laughs) Can you go to Titus 3 verse 5? Titus 3, verse 5, it's the same mentality, you guys, over and over. Uh, You're not able to get saved or cleansed by the works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Look at this. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that we can do to bring to the table. Our horses, our chariots, our titles, nothing. They don't mean anything. All Elisha says through the messenger, can you just go into the Jordan Dip yourself seven times in and out, in and out, and you're clean. Sounds to me like he has his own game plan. In fact, in verse 12, he reiterates this. He says, aren't Arbana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better better than the waters? I mean, like, you made me walk where? All the way here. Kevin, then where am I going? He went to Samaria to find him from Aram, right? So he goes down into Israel to Samaria. Then he's supposed to go to the Jordan River, which is running out of the Sea of Galilee there. And he's like, I could have done that back home. I could have just stayed home. And then I wouldn't have had to look so foolish. Could I not have washed in them and been clean? So look what he says. He turned and he pouted. <laughs> no. He said he turned and he left in a, in a rage. This would be the time when you'd start, you know, bleeping all the explicitives that he says. I mean, really, that's what it does. He turns and he leaves. I'm going to read a quote by Daniel, Donald Gray uh, Barnhouse. That's a mouthful. He says, everybody has a privilege of going to heaven God's way or going to hell their own way. Let's say it one more time, because to me, this is exactly what uh, Naaman comes to the table. He wants his own way, not God's way. Everybody has a privilege of going to, God, of going to heaven God's way or going to hell their own way. Look at this process of this leprosy. At some point, if he doesn't address the, the skin issue, right? Spreads, defiles, isolates, it's going to be fit for fire. It's going to be, he's going to die. You guys, that same thing applies for our, our spiritual state. If we don't come to the table and say, God, I need it your way, not mine, uh, nothing's going to change and we're headed for destruction. But if we resist the Lord, you guys, it won't change. But if we continue to learn to trust him, oh man, it works. And in fact, in verse 13 and on, you're going to see that. The resisting is going to change and turn into trusting the Lord. And you know, here's what I love about this story. Is I love this story because most of the time when we talk about a king, they stop at resisting the Lord. 
You know, they're like, oh, yeah, I need you, Lord. I start seeking the Lord and then they resist him. And then it just kind of stops. Very rarely do you have a king or a commander that actually trusts in the Lord. And it came because of accountability from those that he surrounded himself with. His servants approached him in verse 13 of 2 Kings 5. And he said, the servant said to Naaman, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? In other words, if he spoke to your pride, you know, if he spoke to you and it's exactly what you wanted, wouldn't you have done it? How much more should you do it when he tells you, wash and be clean? Humble yourself, Naaman, if you really want to be healed. Verse 14, I don't know what happened, but obedience kicked in. Obedience is the name of the game for Naaman. Naaman went down and you have to wonder like, okay, fine. (laughs) You know, like, oh, you're right. And so it says he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, (laughs) according to the command of the man of God. And then his skin was restored. Can you imagine? And I have wondered this, Rich, as you said, he went in and then he got back out. I, I wonder if as he kept going in and he kept going out, if he kept seeing restoration to his body, like if it was actually just this progression of, of healing as he walked out obedience. Like I actually, I have no, I cannot back this up at all. Okay, this is just Kyle going there in prayer time. Okay, that's all this is. Is I just think, I wonder if every time he kept going in, like his faith continued to grow, it's working. And he kept getting back in and it's working. He kept going back in and it's working. And that's the reality, guys, of faith. Is that every time you walk out of obedience, your, your faith gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And you're like, I'm going to keep doing this. And what do you know? His skin was restored and he became like the skin of a, of a small, small boy. Can you go to Matthew 18.3? He smells good. He looks good. I want to I show just a couple things here. Matthew 18.3. He says, assuredly, this is Jesus saying, I say to you, unless you're converted and become as little children, you will be no, by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I love this verse because if Naaman stayed thick headed and prideful, he would not have been healed. But because he had faith like a child, he listened to his servants and walk, he, he walked it out. Healed in all every aspect. I actually believe that this radical faith, this radical conversion, we're going to get to this, of this Gentile actually radically impacted the Israelites and made them mad. Kevin, can you go to Luke 4, verse 23? I don't know if you guys know, and we haven't alluded to this very much. Jesus talks about the last couple chapters of 2 Kings. It's like he has revived school in Israel. (laughs) It's so crazy. Look at this. Luke 4, 23. He takes Mindy's painting (laughs) and he describes it. Look. He says this, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Now watch, verse 24, he says, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Verse 25, but I I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heaven was shut up, look at this, three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. To none of them was Elijah, he sent except Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Remember, God provided for Elijah. Amidst the famine, he provided. Keep going here if we can. And many lepers, now look, were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. So now we're transitioning from Elijah to Elisha. And none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Jesus is talking about first and second kings. And then he continues on in verse 28. And so all of those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath, verse 29, 
And they rose up to thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. Can, can I just tell you one of the things and one of the reasons they're mad? He's talking about a Gentile being healed. Talking about a Gentile actually coming to know God. Get this guy out of here. No Gentile should ever come to know us. That's unclean. And so God, through Christ, uses the example of Naaman and his healing. But here's what I want. Here's the crazy thing. Do you know how the Gentile came to know the Lord? The little Israelite girl who had faith. It was actually the Israelites who pointed Naaman to Yahweh. And Naaman, look at this, comes to know the Lord. And who gets mad? The Jews. Why? Because that is supposed to be for them. The story continues, kind of parallels that even in chapter 5 here. <laughs> it's crazy, you guys. In verse 15, Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God, stood before him and, declar- and declared, I know there's no I know there's no God in the whole world except in Israel. Look at, look at this Gentile declaring his faith for the God of Israel. A Gentile. Therefore, please accept a gift from your servant. And, you know, Wearsby, I like what he says. It might be a little bit of a stretch, but I, I think it's, it's fair. There's a trusting in the Lord, and then there's this component of, of just serving the Lord. Serving the Lord in verses 15b through 19. And, you know, this is, this is classic. We've already reiterated this with the king in the letter. You, you can't buy this. You know that, right? You can't buy what just took place. And Elijah just said, as long as the Lord lives, I stand before him. I will not accept it. Just like Abraham didn't accept it. Daniel didn't accept it. Peter and John, they didn't accept it. Like, we're not supposed to accept those things. And so Naaman, he urged him to accept it. But continuing, Elisha said, no, no, no. This is not about self-serving. But here you had the false prophets, you guys. They were constantly, as, as, as Constable says, they're lying in their pockets with money. Elisha's different. He's a man of God who's functioning solely out of obedience. And then in verse 17, Maybe, maybe one of my favorite verses in this whole chapter. He says this, if not, if I, if I can't, if I can't bless you, please let two mule loads of soil be given to your servant. So that's where the whole serving the Lord comes in. He now identifies himself as a servant. You ready? Of the Lord. And he asked for, Kevin, what's he asked for? (laughs) So give him two loads of dirt. Dirt. Can I, can I have some dirt, please? Hey, Mindy. I'd like to see a little bit more dirt over here. (laughs) I need some dirt for your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering or a sacrifice to any other God but Yahweh. Naaman's plan. Okay, I want you to understand this. Okay, Naaman's plan is to sprinkle. Okay, as Nelson says, some of the Israelite soil. Check this out. Some of the Israelite soil. Okay, and he's going to put it under his knees. So when forced to bow down in pagan temples that is in in his own country, he knows that when he puts dirt on the ground, he's not bowing to the false gods. He knows, you ready for this? His foundation is on the Lord. The servant, even though he's in the world, even though he's with this false worship, false gods, he knows his foundation is Yahweh. A Gentile comes to know the Lord. Because the Israelite pointed him, you ready for this, to Yahweh. And in Jesus' time, the religious got mad that the Gentiles were hearing the truth. 
<laughs> and so in verse 18, look, look, look how Naaman, look what Naaman says. However, in, in, in a particular matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. Like, I know my role as a commander in the army. And when my master, the king of Aram, goes into the temple of Ramon to worship, and I, as his right-hand man, bow in the temple of Ramon, like, when I bow in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. I have the soil. I, you, I want you to hear my heart. I want to be a light in this environment, he says. Pardon me as I go into this environment. And, and look, look what Elisha says. Go in peace. Naaman needed the Lord. He sought the Lord. He resisted the Lord. Praise God, he trusted the Lord. And then he began to serve him. And can I just tell you, this whole process all started when somebody else had faith and said, I believe God can help you. I believe God can help you. Guys, what Revive School is all about, it's about strengthening your muscles. It's about strengthening your faith muscles so that you can start saying to people, my life has been cleansed. My life has been changed. I believe he's he's changed my life. I want him to change yours. And because of our faith, somebody else could actually radically put their trust in him. And you ready? And serve him. I just wish the story would end here. Sounds like a great story. Uh, Naaman is on his way, praising God, I don't know, at least in his head. (laughs) And Naaman had traveled a short distance from Elisha. And then there's Gehazi. Hi, this bonehead. What a dork. The attendant of Elisha, the man of God. He thought, hey, my master's left this Aramean and Naaman off the hook. He didn't didn't get paid. We, We didn't get paid by this commander of the army. And his Lord lives I will run after him and get something from him. I hate when people use the Lord to gain prosperity. Gehazi might be one of the first prosperity guys you meet in Scripture. Hey, we've done this. You owe us this. And so Gehazi pursued Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. He says, everything, is everything okay? Gehazi said, oh, yeah, it's all right. It's good. My master, he sent me to say, he lied. He lies. Gehazi lies. Liar. <laughs> He just said, I've discovered there's two young men. Where did he come up with this story? Two young men from the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. And so please give them 75 pounds of silver and two changes of clothes. Again, there's the clothes. That's a pretty good made-up story. And on the whim, man. He's probably done this a couple times. Verse 23, Naaman says, no, please take 150 pounds, 75 for this guy, 75 for this guy. And then he packed 150 pounds of silver in two bags, two change of clothes. Naaman gave them two of his young men, and then he sent him off. <laughs> if only Gehazi knew what was coming. Gehazi, he came to the hill, he came to the citadel, and he took the gifts from them, and then he, he stored them in the house. Oh, yeah, sweet. And then he dismissed the men, and, and they left. <laughs> and Gehazi said in verse 25, he stood by his master and, and look what Elisha did. He said, where'd you go? I love it when they already know. He said, well, your servant, uh, they didn't go anywhere. People that lie, man, it's so obvious. <laughs> I, I don't love it when my kids lie, but you can totally tell when they're like, who did it? Not me. And Elisha just simply questioned, it wasn't my spirit there when the man got down from his chariot to meet you. In other words, my heart is with Naaman. I know everything that happened. Is it a time to accept money and clothes, olive orchard and vineyard, sheep and oxen and male and female slaves? And it says in verse 27, therefore, Naaman's skin disease will cling to you and your descendants, not just a little bit, forever. Gehazi went out from his presence diseased, white as snow. Whoops. 
All I can just say is like when you're, when you're here advancing the kingdom of God and you're more about yourself than walking by faith, I wouldn't play games with the Lord. I have no problem releasing that because it has nothing to do with you, everything to do with Him. When this little girl who walked by faith pointed somebody, pointed somebody to, to the Lord, I believe she has a ridiculous reward waiting for her. Gehazi, on the other hand, I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. We do not advance and walk by faith for personal gain. We do this for his glory and his glory alone. And there you have 2 Kings 5 and 6. I'll just say in 2 Kings 6, if you want to hear an incredible story, go read it because there's an axe, an axe head that just randomly floats. All right, guys, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.